But uh, this is another message in my, um, my psalm series. This is the third one, actually, of Psalms 37. If you want to turn towards Psalm 37, I'm taking, I think, the first six fixed verses to look at. But uh, we had a wonderful time last weekend. I've got to be honest here, I was concerned Friday night. Um, the storms, the pelting rain, I was, uh, I was praying. It's like, God... Thank you for sunshine tomorrow. And uh, the sun came out and it was a wonderful day. That rain wasn't actually supposed to be there Friday night. It was actually supposed to come Wednesday. Um, but typical fashion, uh, if you ever want a job where you only have to be, be correct 40% of the time, uh, become a weather person. Um, but anyway, <laughs> we are excited. Our kids go back to school on Tuesday. Yay! I'm excited for you. I am. I'm excited for you. And yeah, a tad excited for me. <laughs> my child is looking at me with a funny look on my face. Anyway, uh, we are excited for what God's doing in this place. Now, it, it's funny that uh, how much we as people compare ourselves to other people. I mean, comparison is a very dangerous weapon. I mean, you might look at my wife's shoes and, and automatically go, I want a pair of those. <laughs> but a comparison is a funny thing because we don't compare ourselves to another person when we're doing well. We only compare ourselves when we are going through a struggle. And yet when you actually break it down, comparison, it's actually kind of ridiculous. I mean, if you think about it, let's, let's just think about it for the, just one second. You are the only you that has ever existed. There is no one, no one on this planet, no one that's ever lived that is like you. You are a one-off, a one-of-a-kind. And all the wives are poking their husbands saying, thank goodness, right? But you are a one-off. That's how unique you really are. There are eight billion people on the planet right now. Maybe a few more extra than eight billion, but there's eight billion people on this planet. And none of them are the same. None of them. And all the people that ever existed before today are not the same. That's how unique we really are. Our fingerprints don't even match. I, I marvel at that statement. When I heard that, I was dumbfounded. The fact that our fingerprints are so unique and all they are is lines on the skin. That my fingerprints don't match your fingerprints. That God is so much about your uniqueness that he created nothing, nothing the same. Everything about you is different. Everything. And yet we compare ourselves to another person. It's like comparing a monkey to an elephant. Yep. <laughs> you can't. It's like uh, there was a comic going around where they had a whole bunch of uh, animals. They had a monkey, they had a, a giraffe and, a, and an elephant. And they said, all right, here's the test. You've got to climb the tree. It's not fair, is it? No. Why? Because we're all so different, aren't we? And we have this thing about comparing ourselves, looking at what another person has, what I don't have, what they're good at, what I'm not good at. And let's be honest, we all do it. So 
None of us are exempt of it. But we compare ourselves. I mean, the inner desire to compare ourselves is a very, very dangerous thing. Sometimes it's fueled by our insecurities. The amount of value I place on myself. But the truth is, if, if I compare myself to someone else because of something that they have, I need to come back to this very simple little truth. If I am not enough without it, I will never be enough with it. Now, if I'm not enough without a Lamborghini sitting in my, or a Ferrari or Maserati or as my favorite car is a Coenzeg, sitting in my, my garage, I'll never be enough with it. Because once you start wanting, once you start having, you'll continue wanting and continue having and seeking after things. And so if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. And there lies the problem. Having is not the answer. Because there will always be something else that you want. We have this inner conflict within us, a rivalry of sorts between what's called the eternal and the temporary. Where we seek after the temporary because that's what we want or because we see other people have it. And we forget about what's really important, the eternal. The temporary value compared to the eternal value. Now people search all over the place, and you would have heard this, for the fountain of youth, you know? Trying to live forever, trying to find that source where they can live forever. I mean, the movie stars, they inject all sorts of things in their, their face. Well, actually, not just movie stars, all sorts of people these days, isn't it? Inject sort of things in their faces and whatever, and now they're uh, implanting things in their lips to make them fuller, and they have surgeries to change their look and suck things out and put things in. Fillers. Now you look on the TV and there's, there's all those re revitalized creams and you put this on at night time and you wake up and you put this on and you do this and this. It's crazy. My daughter the other day actually said something funny. I came in to say goodnight to her and she, she said, oh, I need some moisturizer. And I said, what do you need moisturizer on? She goes, so I look young. <laughs> I'm like, darling, you're 10. You don't need wrinkle cream. <laughs> but we do. We search for this fountain of youth to always to make ourselves look good, right? And that's only based upon a comparison of other people. People search for it. They do all sorts of things. You know, one of the most busiest um, surgeons these days, a cosmetic. My brother uh, went to high school with a friend of his who now is a cosmetic surgery. And he specializes in fixing up bodged surgeries. That's all he does. And he makes a mitzah out of it. And I was talking to him one time. He goes, you'll be, you'll be surprised how many people have done certain things. And they go and they do it on the cheap because they want to look like this. And they'll do it any way they possibly can. Um, and he says, they come to me and i am got to try and fix it. But it's all about this comparison of, I have to look a certain way. And I'm comparing myself to another person. I want to look younger. I want to tell you something right now. I am not like that. 
These gray hairs that my wife often points out to me, I am okay with, because I earn them. Huh? I have lived. I'm not as old as, oh, I shouldn't say, I'm not as mature as some people in the room, but I have lived. I have gone through things, I have seen things, I have experienced things, I have lived. These are signs of my wisdom. And the more that come out are more signs of my wisdom. They are. That's what the Bible says as well, and I claim it, right? But nothing lasts forever. Nothing. But was that? <laughs> and that's okay. Nothing lasts forever. Do you know the only thing that lasts forever is the covenant that God established with us? See, today we're facing... And if you, look, if, you're, if this is new to you, don't panic too much, right? Today we're facing a global shift in the economy. Changes which we have, we have never seen in our lifetime. And that can cause people to worry, that can cause people to stress, that can cause people to pursue the temporary and the reason why we are moving in this direction is because of the decisions made by others based upon them seeking the temporary. They have got to a certain degree because they pursued, they lied, they cheated, they scammed their way, they did things that were deceitful. They tried to cover it up and 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 cover it up. And, cover it up. and sooner or later, a crack in the wall can only take so much putty. And so the whole thing crumbles. And they do this because they're not thinking of the consequences. They think of the here and now. They're thinking of the temporary solution of what I need right now based upon what everyone else has. It becomes quite concerning. And we forget what is actually eternal or has eternal value. Because what actually is important? I mean, what is important? When you get down to the gruts of things and you wrote down exactly what is important to you, what would that be? What would be on that list? What was that, darling? Your family. That's a very good one. And if you want to, I suggest maybe it's a good idea that you go home at some point today, sit down with your partner or sit down by yourself and say, what is actually important to me? If I lost everything, what are the things that I couldn't live without? I mean, I'm not worried really about what could be happening globally and the reason why i'm not worried is not because i have everything sorted out it's because i know who sits on the throne i've put my trust in eternal not the temporary i don't bank on the stock market being in the same position it was yesterday as it was a week ago as it will be in a month ago i don't bank on certain things like that i don't bank on the value of the Aussie dollar being the same. I bank on an eternal and I bank on God sitting on the throne, regardless. I'm not worried about climate change. Now, I believe that we should be stewards, but I don't believe in the hype. Because God actually gives a promise in his word about the sustainability of the earth. And most people actually forget this. But it actually says in Genesis 8, 22, now this was actually given to Noah. 
And it says, while sea, where the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. That means that this, the only way to stop everything on this earth happening is you've got to take out the earth. That's a promise that God actually gives his people. He says nothing will change. Now we are called to be stewards of everything God gives us. And so I believe in that, but I'm not going to sell my house in doing silly things trying to save the planet. Do you know actually what's really interesting? In the English Channel before World War II, there was a shortage of fish. All the fishermen who used to go out there were struggling to catch their daily supply. And when World War II took place, in the English Channel, you couldn't go fishing because you were too concerned that you might get bombed, shot out of the sky, torpedoed by the U-boats, or whatever else might take place. No one went fishing in the English Channel. But after World War II, when they went back to fishing in the English Channel, do you know the English Channel had actually repaired itself? The fish supply was back up. God actually created this earth to replenish itself. That's why trees have seeds. It's a process, a natural process of the earth. God's not stupid. He knows what we are like. He knows us in and out. He knows that sometimes we can make mistakes, that we think about the temporal over the eternal. And so he created everything on this earth to last beyond just a moment. That's why I am so glad and I can sit and I can rest in the fact that my God is still on the throne. And I am so thankful that I did not, have, did I not create everything because if I created or man created everything, it wouldn't last. And as long as the earth remains, as long as the earth goes on, everything will take place. We'll still have day and night. We'll still have the seasons. We'll still have everything that takes place. And so that brings us to this passage of Scripture with David in Psalms 37. And it says, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers. For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes." That's a really interesting passage of Scripture. It's one that you have to sit on and, and mellow on and, and try and work out exactly what God is talking about. Now some believe that this is actually a psalm written by David to his son, to his son Solomon to encourage him about the world around him and that the righteous may suffer while the wicked seem to prosper. Because that can be sometimes our argument is we sit there and we ask, God, I'm going through this hard time, I'm struggling, and right now I'm looking at this person and I know they're wicked 
and yet they seem to be prospering. They seem to be having an easy time. They seem to have it all together. They seem to be able to pay for this and pay for that. Why is this? Why am I struggling? Why don't I drive a Ferrari? And this person does. Why don't I have this massive, massive house that I can't live in all the rooms, even if we change rooms every day? And this person can. Why do they seem to have all this money and I do not? See, for me, I always try and well, this is my starting point. I always try and think like God. Whenever I'm reading Scripture, I always try and think like God. And when that fails, which it does, I try and think from the end picture. And when that fails, I try and imagine what I can of what God's trying to talk about. See, we first need to understand how God works. And as the crickets play, that can be a challenge. And the only way to work out how God works is to spend time with God and get to know Him. The only time to, you can undo that is actually if you're in His Word, trying to ask Him, talk to Him, going, God, what do you mean by this? See, I understand a portion of what my, 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 how my wife thinks. Most of the time I get it wrong, still. But I understand a portion of it, and that's because I spend time with her. And I don't play games, and, I, and I've taught my wife, well, not taught my wife, that's probably wrong, and I but I have tried to talk to my wife and when she says something in code, I'm like, darling, you have to make it simple because I don't get it. But the more time I spend with my wife, the more time I get how she thinks. I know my wife likes shoes. I know my wife likes chocolate. There are some things I will not buy for my wife. Why? Because I will get it wrong. So when she has her birthday coming along, I learnt from a long time ago that I don't go and buy her things. I say, darling, what do you want? You go get it and I'll wrap it up and boom, there you go. Because the amount of times I've bought something and brought it to her and thought, oh, I'm so proud, I got this. I know. She goes, that's nice. You got the receipt? Yes, darling, I got the receipt. We, we learned a long time ago not to go shopping together. Because my method of shopping is really simple. I know what I want. I know where to get it. I know my size. I'm in. I'm out. Five minutes. Done. And I've got three outfits. My wife wants to shop. And I'm so thankful. You can tell a shopping center that has clued on to men. Because they're the ones that have the seats in the stores and they're the ones who have the seats outside the stores. Because that's where the guy sits while their wives are in the stores. But no, we don't shop very well together. So we learned that very early on. I sent her and go, okay, tell me how bad the credit card. No, we don't have a credit card. So it's not a worry. So. <laughs> All of a sudden I look at the bank account when she's out shopping. I know exactly where she is. And I can cancel the card on it. No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that either. But I try and think like my wife sometimes. And just like that, I try and think like God when I come to this passage of Scripture. Because we need to understand what on earth He's talking about before we can understand anything what applies to us. And I think sometimes when we read the Scriptures, when we read the Bible, we struggle with it because we're trying to read it in our own term and our phrases. We're trying to read it from a Western perspective that has 
a lot different to an Eastern perspective. And the simplicity of all of it is actually found in another passage of Scripture, which is Isaiah 46.10. And it says, Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have been done, saying, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Now every person has the ability to walk in God's plan for their life. But in order to understand God's plan for your life, and I'm going to try and make sense of this, we have to first involve Him in the process and ask Him what it is. And that will require you to trust Him, that will require, him, require you to believe in Him and have faith. Now where that passage of Scripture Isaiah comes in is really simple as this. God finishes it, then he goes back and starts it. God finishes it, then he goes back and starts it. Which means your life has already actually been finished. He's already authored it. Now he goes back and he starts it with you. And as we're walking along the path of our lives, we get the opportunity to invite God into our lives to guide us so we walk in the purposes and the promises of God. And each person on this planet has the same thing. It's called choice or free will. You have a choice to walk in the promises of God. You have a free will choice to decide whether or not you want to walk in that or walk on your own. And just because God has finished it, it doesn't mean that you will end up in the same place that God finished it for you. Because you have free will. But the whole process of Christianity is realizing that you need God, that you need His Son in order to connect with God. So when you are walking along this process, this, this path that He has for you, you can actually invite Him into your direction and help you walk in the very footsteps that He has for you. And this is why comparison is such a dangerous thing. Because when I'm walking along my path and I am comparing myself to someone else's path, I'm saying, God, what you're doing in my life right now is not the same as what you're doing in their life and I want what they have, not what you have for me. But I walk, oh, she's all right, I walk in a covenant relationship with God. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, his blood was spilt for me so I could be in relationship, right relationship with God. And because I'm in right relationship with God, and now there's always times that we fall, slip and stumble. And when I fall, slip and stumble, I can repent and get back on the path that I'm supposed to be. Because the word repentance actually means to turn away. So it's turn away from my desires, turn away from what I'm wanting, turn away from my decisions and get back on the path. Matthew 7 talks about there is a narrow path that leads to a narrow way that leads to eternity. And everybody has the same opportunity to walk out what God has placed before you. Everybody. Now, I have been blessed with eternal life. Praise Jesus. I oh, seriously. 
I have the promise that if I continue along this path, that I can continue along the journey that I'm supposed to, that I will have eternal life with him. Eternal life. Not the temporary life that I have now. I will have eternal life. I will live forever. And the whole process of me walking along this path to get to the end goal, which has already been determined, because he's already gone and finished it, now he's come back and started it with me, is so I get to the end goal. That's why Paul said, I press on to the upward call of Christ in Christ Jesus. And what I'm doing is I'm walking out his plan for my life. I converse with him, I talk with him, I commune with him, I read his word, I get to know him, I get to understand how he thinks in order to walk out the steps that he has for me. And there are times that I am being prepared for the next step and they are feeling very, very uncomfortable. But everything leads on. See, there will be times that I miss the mark, and I've already talked about this, and then the repentance comes in and enables me to get back on the path. And when we rebel, we walk off the path, and we wander out on our own. He has the ability to draw us back, but we still have to be a willing participant on that process. And those who have wandered or have never walked off the path still have the ability to build wealth, okay? Because you still have the gifts of that God has planted in you, there are still ways that you can build wealth and do all the bits and pieces without Him as well as with Him. And the more you spend on the process, the more you ask Him how to do things, the more things open up for you. And it's got to, you've got to remember, you've got to come back to that point that God is eternal, not temporary. So when God is looking at you, He's not looking at a temporal fix he's looking at eternal fix he's looking for a heart change not a external change and that's hard for us to take because we're so busy comparing ourselves to other people to understand that hey god has made you individual and he's made you special just the way you are and there is a unique plan and purpose for your life and there's a unique path that you need to walk and if you just seek god to get that path and keep on that path and to walk that path you'll reach your goal and then people will be comparing themselves to you not the other way around and this is the dangerous thing about comparison. Now Elon Musk, everyone knows who Elon Musk is. Elon Musk might be the most wealthiest person in the world. And he can make a rocket that flies to the moon, he's making a rocket that flies to Mars. But it's a far cry from eternity. And without salvation, it will do little good to him. God granted the children of Israel the promised land. God owned the land. Everything is his. And we are just supposed to be stewards of it. That means if God gives me something, I am to be a steward of it. My relationship, my marriage with my wife is not mine. I do not own it, nor do I own her. I am in relationship with her and I am to be a steward of that relationship. I am a steward of my children. I do not own my children. 
But when the children of Israel walk in obedience to God and His Word, then they could live in the land. When they disobeyed God, He would first chastise them to bring them back. Today we have what's called delayed judgment, meaning the judgment day is still to come. Meaning God's interaction with us is either God's hand on our life or not. When we walk in obedience to His plan, His purpose, God has His hand on our life. We are in the palm of His hand. When we walk in disobedience, when we walk in our own ways, we are no longer in the palm of God's hand, but God watches from a distance. We have walked away from Him. When David writes Psalm 37, he's talking about the comparison. Comparison ourselves to the world. Looking at the world, looking at the way the world sees, comparing to what we have compared to what they have. Today, so many people seek what the world has. Firstly, it's imperative that you remind yourself, that you understand that the world has nothing of value to you. Because what you have is salvation. What you have is an eternal promise of an eternal destination. And no amount of money can buy that. No amount of money, no amount of things, no amount of anything, no amount of wisdom, no amount of education can actually purchase that. David says to not to fret. Don't fret. Freddy means to burn, to get heated up. David was saying, cool down, chill. Relax. When you see evil in the world, don't meet them with anger. Meet them with a holy anger. Be angry at their sin. Don't envy the wicked. Don't compare yourselves to the wicked. The wicked are temporary. And one day, it'll all be gone. They are like grass that will fade away or be cut down. He goes on and says, trust in the Lord. A fretting heart is not a trusting heart because it lacks joy and peace. See, we need to trust in the Lord and stay where God has sent us. We need to stay on that path that God has predestined us for us to walk on. We need to stay on it. You need to remember that God will supply all your needs. I mean, God says in His Word that God has a cattle on a thousand hills. That's a lot of beef. If we are faithful to God, God is faithful to us. And even when we are not faithful to Him, He is still faithful to us by extending the hand and saying, come back. Trusting in the Lord is the key. That's what David's talking about. He says, trust in the Lord. Don't look to the left, don't look to the right, look to Him. And when we lose faith in God and His ways, we have a tendency to compare ourselves to others. And when we stop trusting Him, we start to look and see what others have. Who has the answer? David goes on in verse 4 and he says, To delight in the Lord. Now delight means to be brought up in luxury, to be pampered. It speaks of the abundance of the blessing that comes with the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Be pampered by the Lord. Be blessed by the Lord. 
See, the challenge that we need to overcome is based on this word that no one likes. Patience. See, when God builds, and He does build, and He builds well, He builds to last. He won't give you anything that you're not ready for. He's not going to give you something that's going to hurt you. He's not going to give you something that will just take you away from Him. Why would God give you a million dollars only for you to lose it or to be a worse place than you were before? Especially when it comes to your emotions, your behavior, your trust, your faithfulness, etc. See, at the heart of what God does is centered always in relationship. God is desperate for relationship with you. And there are some times that God withholds not because he doesn't want to give it to you, because he knows that if he gives it to you, the relationship with him will not grow. You're not ready for it. We have a big vision for this place. And I've asked many times to God, says, God, why did you give this to me? Because it's massive and I, I don't have it. He says, you're not ready for it, Pete. You're not ready for it. Because if I gave it to you, it would just crush you. And so my heart is, God, prepare me for it. Change this. Change this. Change me. Work in me. Transform me. Get me in the position so I am in the right path or position on the path to receive what you have, not for my benefit, so for, for all of your benefit that comes about on this earth. But what happens sometimes is we fight it. We want it now. We don't want to wait. We don't understand the process of patience. We don't understand the inner workings of God who's establishing in us the ability to actually be able to contain it or to maintain it, I should say. We're so busy about the temporal. I want it now. I want it now. It's like the prodigal son. Two boys. One of them says, I want my inheritance now. The father gives it to him and he squanders it. What God wants to build in you is massive. And the only way to actually see it lived out is to get on the path, to stay on the path, to continue on the path, to listen to him, to get the right steps on the path and to be patient. And none of those things feel good but what David talks about with his son Solomon he said look God's got a plan he's got a purpose for your life but you need to understand that there will be many great things that will surround you stay on the path that's Pete's paraphrase version David talks on, he says, verse 5, he says, Commit your ways to the Lord. Commit your ways. Commit your path. Commit your journey. Commit what you're thinking. Commit your way of thinking. Commit your words. Commit everything to the Lord. And in verse 7, he says, To rest in the Lord, to be silent, to be still, to surrender to the Lord. See, unless we learn to wait patiently, 
silently before, the God, before God. We will never experience His peace. If you have anxiety, find His peace. God says in Matthew 5, 5, it says, Blessed are the gentle. Another way to put gentle is meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Now, meekness or gentleness doesn't mean weakness. It's not softness. It actually means force under control of faith. Those who are force under control of faith will inherit the earth. And when he's talking about the earth, he's not talking about what you see. He's talking about the future promises of the generations of the land of promise. He's talking about the future. I don't know exactly what God has for you. But I know it's good. Because all things that are good are worth walking for. Walking in, waiting for. But it takes us to get back to that point where we are open to God and saying, God, do what you need to do. I surrender. Do what you need to do. Not my will, but your will be done. I won't look to the left. I won't look to the right. I'll keep my eyes fixed on you. I will stop comparing myself to what they have and what this person has. And I'll just look at what I have. God, what do I have? I have you. And if he's not enough, you will never be enough without him, uh, with him. But to know him, it, it takes the first step, and that's to get to know him. And salvation is the only bridge that crosses the, the chasm of sin. So I'm going to invite anybody who wants to get to know Jesus to come down the front to, get to, know, uh, to come and meet me. And I'll pray with you. Before you get up and let come, I'm just going to close the meeting. There's morning tea, there's tea and coffee, there's a light lunch thing, all bits and pieces. Stay, chat, get to know some people. There's lots of people in here with some great stories. We've got our Colombians. We've got Tyrone, Lorraine, and their son Travis. We have some new visitors. Get to know them. Tyrone's got some crazy stories. Ask him about his arm. It's cool. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm flabbergasted by what or who God brings to this place. People from all different walks of life. People who've got different pasts and different experiences. Oh my God, thank you. Thank you for who you're bringing. Thank you for what you're doing. I don't understand it all, but I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. There's a reason, there's a purpose in it all. So let's pray. Eh? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God who knows, that you sit on the throne, that you understand everything. You understand the plans and the purposes, you understand the path, you understand the journey. You understand the individual. And sometimes in our haste, God, we can miss what you want to do. Sometimes in our haste, we can step off the path. Sometimes in our haste, 
We look to serve our own needs over yours. Father, I lift up every person in this place. I ask you that they would have an encounter with you this week. That you'd speak to them and guide them. You give them direction. That you'd show them the next step. That you bless them wherever they are. You guide them and direct them, Father. So, Father, we speak life into their purposes. We speak life into their destinies. We speak life into the individuals. Blessings and favor upon each and every one of them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.